close to the end of Chronicles. And hey, I want to impress you guys for a second. How's this? Sunday, we did a whopping two verses. You guys know that because we taught on marriage on Sunday, a whopping two verses. Tonight, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do 1 Chronicles 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27. Six chapters tonight, people. Six chapters. So, I can't figure out what I'm doing. I've been doing this for 20 years, and I still can't figure this out. So, six chapters tonight. Now, the reason we're doing six chapters is because if you were just reading through Chronicles, you would get to these passages, and to be quite honest, you would skip over them. When I first got saved, I did something that I tell everybody not to do. When somebody first gets saved, they always come up and say, I'm going to start reading through the Bible. And I always say, amen, but don't start in Genesis. Start in a gospel. Read about who John is. Excuse me, read about who Jesus is. Book of John, 1 John, James. Well, I decided I'm going to start in Genesis. So I started in Genesis. And I got through Genesis. I got through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. You know, I got up to Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, and I quit. I couldn't do it. Because there's some chapters like this. Just take a look at this just to get the feel for it. Take a look at chapter 24 with me. Just look at the listing of names there in chapter 24. Look at the listings of names in chapters 25. And you look at this, and it's really easy just to say, Lord, I don't know why this is in here. I cannot pronounce these people's names. I'm completely lost. Go back to the first point we talked about in Chronicles, way back when we started our study. Paul wrote in Corinthians, these people were given to us as an example. An example of what to do or even an example of what not to do. And remember also what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Every part of the Bible, every jot and tittle, the little dot over the I, the little cross over the T, means something. Jesus said, the whole book is written about me. So I love studies like this, because as we go through these six chapters, it's like, Lord, where are you in this? I want to see you in this. What can we learn from this as we go through? So as we start in chapter 22 and we go through this, you're going to see a lot of order, a lot of names, a lot of breakdown. It's almost like you're reading a job description, because that's exactly what you're reading. This is the job description for the Levites, for the priesthood, for the musicians, for the gatekeepers, and for the military. This is what it is. It has all the details in here. If you were a Levite, you would know what week you're supposed to work, what your days off are. This talks about who the treasurers are, the gatekeepers, the military leaders. This is a job description of a brief snapshot of David and Solomon's reign on what it looked like. Now, a couple points. Why is this important? If you're a note taker, I'm just going to share these verses with you real quick. 1 Corinthians 14.33 1 Corinthians 14.33, God is not a God of disorder. He's an orderly God. He does things in an orderly way. Just take a look at creation. You see an orderly creation, an orderly God. That's what he does. He likes things being in order, which goes along. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the different gifts of the Spirit mentioned. One of the gifts of the Spirit mentioned that we don't talk a lot about is the gift of administration. That's a gift of keeping things organized, keeping things flowing. I am so thankful for people that have the gift of administration. I do not have the gift of administration. Richard does not have the gift of administration. There's a lot of good godly people out here that have the gift of administration that keeps the ship afloat and keeps us focused. I love the gift of administration. Now, here's the problem. If you've run into people who like order and you run into people who like administration, it can become extremely what? Legalistic. 
Just be with somebody who is a perfectionist. It sucks the joy out of your life. That's why also 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't quench the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to move. God is an orderly God. He likes order. He likes administration. These chapters tonight show that. But God is also a God that likes the Spirit to move freely and openly. Think back to the greatest example we ever had, Jesus. Jesus was not supposed to be touching lepers, but he did. The woman caught in the sin of adultery. Well, she was supposed to be stoned. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Jesus was a God, a man of grace and mercy and allowing the Spirit to move. So we need order. We need administration. Amen for that. But we also need the flexibility to say, you know what? This doesn't line up with what my plan was for today or what I was thinking about doing today. But if the Spirit is in this and moving, then I need to be obedient to that. Now, this is what normally happens. If you're really free form, you got the whole let the Holy Spirit lead. You're saying amen. Do you hear order and administration? Yeah, you don't really like that. Now, if you're on the other side and you got order and administration, you're more like, I'll let the Spirit lead as long as he checks in with me first. Okay, you got to have both. Let the pendulum swing both ways and understand that it takes both sides, order, administration, but also the leading of the Spirit, and then you get a great picture of what the Lord wants to do. Because you're going to see both of that tonight. So let's just jump right into this. Chapter 22. Chapter 22 is David's heart to want to build the temple. Now you remember correctly a few uh, chapters ago, David asked God, he goes, I want to build you a house. You've built me a house, but I want to build you a house. God came back and told David, you can't. I'm going to use your son Solomon to build the house because David, you're a man of war. You have blood on your hands. I can't use you. Now David could have sat there and pouted, right? But he didn't. So what you see in chapter 22 is even though David wasn't able to build the house, he decided to get all the materials around for Solomon to build the house. Look at verse 5. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparations for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Here's your first point tonight. If you can't do something, then help those who can. So often in life, we focus on what we can't do. So fine, you're not physically able to do everything you used to be able to do. Help those who can then do it. Okay, fine, you may not be able to go to the far reaches of the world to be a missionary. God hasn't called you to that. Help those that can. We got a couple short-term missions trips coming up here. We got hopefully we're going to send another group down to Mexico sometime this year. Hopefully we got some people going to uh, Johnny and Friends. You may not feel led to go. Help those that can. We mentioned about the marriage retreat that's coming up here in April. You may not be able to go. Maybe you can help those that can. Help them financially. Help them watch their kids. Help them take care of their house. David didn't just sit here and say, "I can't." He says, "Well, I'm not called to do that." But verse five, I'm going to get everything around. For Solomon, so he can. What does he do? Verse 2. you got to love verse 2. So David commanded to gather the aliens. That's just a cool verse, isn't it? That's what we need to put on Christian shirts. David commanded to gather the aliens who are in the land of Israel. He got the stones around, verse 2. What else did he do here? Take a look at verse 3. He gets the iron around. Verse 4, he gets the cedar around. He's getting everything around. And just to show what he's willing to put into this, jump ahead real quick to verse 14. Indeed, I've taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure. I'm a math guy. I'm a finance guy. I wanted to know how much this was worth. 
got online today and found out how much an ounce of gold was, found out how much an ounce of silver was, found out how many tons this would be. If you're interested in this, that's about $150 billion worth of gold and almost $2 billion worth of silver in our common currency right now. David kept collecting this stuff again and again and again. Why? For Solomon, for his son, for the glory of the Lord. Remember, if you can't, then help those who can. Now, this is a pretty big project for Solomon. This is a lot to worry about. You're building the abode of God, if you will. So look what David says here in verse 11. Now he's speaking to Solomon. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you. And may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God, as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel, that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and be of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Keep your hand here. Go with me real quick, if you will, to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. You're going to see a similarity here between what Joshua was commanded to do and what Solomon was commanded to do. Remember those words. Be strong. Be of good courage. Be courageous. Follow the law. Follow the testimony. Know that the Lord is with you. But look what is told to Joshua here in Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers and give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according for all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do you see the similarities there? Solomon has this huge project, this huge project. He is building God's temple. This is not something you want to mess up. So what is going on? He's probably nervous. He's probably scared. Remember this point that we've said many times out here, especially in the book of Joshua. If Joshua has to be told in verse 7, be strong and be very courageous, and he has to be told that again in verse 9, be strong and very courageous... What do you think was going through Joshua's mind? He was probably scared. He's probably a little nervous. You don't tell someone to be strong and very courageous unless they're doing something that makes them nervous. If Dawn comes up to me and says, I'm going to go out and get the mail, I don't grab her, look in the eye and say, be strong, be courageous. She can handle it. Why is God constantly telling Joshua this? Because Joshua just inherited a group of people that have been wandering for 40 years, and he's got millions and millions of people, and he's getting ready to go into the promised land into war. He's probably scared. He's just taking over for the leader of Moses that has led the nation for 40 years. He's scared. Solomon, he's just now taking over for David, a man after God's own heart that has taken care of the nation of Israel for decades. He brought them peace. He defeated the Philistines. And Solomon has to build the temple. That's a big Big problem in some ways. Hey, but be strong, be good, courageous. There's great advice here. Take a look real quick back at verse 12. Same chapter, 1 Chronicles 22. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Look at the tie in there. You see it in Joshua 1. You want to be strong and courageous? Stick to the word of God. You want to have strength and faith? Stick to the Word of God. If you get out of the Word of God in your personal life or as a family or whatever, 
Where does your strength come from? Where does your wisdom and guidance come from? Both Joshua and Solomon are basically getting the exact same advice. You've got a big, big responsibility. Stay in the Word. Stay close to God. And God will lead you. And then what else do you see here? Point number three in this chapter. Once you get the vision, share the vision. Verse 19. This is now David speaking to the elders. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. Look at what David does in this chapter. He can't, so he helps those that are. Number two, he gives good advice. Wisdom comes from the law, from the Lord. Be strong and courageous in God's word. And then verse 19, share the vision. And look at this verse 19. Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. We spent the first 40 days here of this year as a church, as individuals, seeking God. What has he called you to do personally? What has he called us to do as a church? And and, and there's just a lot of neat things that the Lord has raised up and we're excited about. Why? Because we just want to seek him. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. We just want to seek the Lord. How often do our lives become us seeking us? What fulfills me? What makes me happy? What brings me joy? You will find fulfillment, happiness, and joy when you quit looking out for yourself. You just say, Lord, it's all about you. It's just all about you. So seek the Lord, catch the vision, and say, God, that's what we want to do. So that's chapter 22. Chapter 22 is setting us up for the next few chapters here and saying, this is the plan. Note, organized, administration, but also at the same, same time, spirit-led. And we can learn from those points as well, too. And we got any quick questions, comments here about chapter 22. All right, we're just getting started. Chapter 23. Now you get into the Levites. Verse 3. Verse 3, 38,000 Levites. Somebody has to be in charge of those people. 38,000 of them. And look how organized God is. He breaks it down right here in verses 4 and 5. 24,000 are going to take care of the temple. Think about that for a second. 24,000 different people are going to take a shift helping take care of the temple in the Old Testament. What else do you have going on there? 6,000 are going to be in administration, be in leadership. I'm not making jokes here. People get sick. People need days off. Things happen. You have to have somebody watch over the temple. There's probably some Levites that just don't want to do their job. You have 6,000 people in leadership. What else do you have in these verses? Verse 5, you have 4,000 gatekeepers. What do the gatekeepers do? They open and shut the gates. Now, why is that such important? Gatekeepers are also security. Gatekeepers are also security. You kept the articles of the temple safe. These things are made out of gold. People would want to obviously take them. Number two, you can't let certain people near the temple. There was a court of the Gentiles. So the Gentiles have to stay there. Certain women weren't allowed to go in certain sections. If you're a leper, you weren't allowed to come. They had security at the temple to keep people from going places that they weren't supposed to go. What else do you have? Verse 5, 4,000 people involved in praise and worship. That's a big worship team. And if you know anything about worship teams, they're the most emotional people you've ever seen. Right, Marv? I don't know. See? No, I'm kidding. You got personalities. 
You got worship people that probably don't get along with worship people. You got gatekeepers that don't want to work with the other gatekeeper. And you got leaders that got to take care of stuff. This is so organized. You got 38,000 people here that you're putting in leadership and gatekeepers and security and praise and worship. And then you just also have to take care of just the plain out temple. What do they do on a regular basis? Jump ahead to verse 28. Their duty was to help the sons of Aaron. Remember this. If you were a descendant of Aaron, you could become a priest. If you were from the tribe of Levi, but not a descendant of Aaron, you couldn't be a priest, you'd become a Levite. So the Levites were not descendants of Aaron, so they only helped the priests. So what did they do, verse 28? Their duty was to help the sons of Aaron in the service of the house of the Lord. What did they do? In the courts and the chambers, in the purifying of all holy things, in the work of the service of the house of God. If you were with us about a month or two ago, we talked about how certain people were allowed to carry certain elements. Certain people carried the ark, certain people carried the tabernacle things. Verse 29, both with the showbread and the fine flour grain offering. People are making cakes and showbread on a regular basis. What is baked in the pan with what is mixed with all kinds of measures and sizes. Verse 30, to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord and likewise at evening. Somebody has to have the morning shift of praise. Somebody has to have the evening shift of praise. Verse 31, in every presentation of a burnt offering, somebody wants to come and offer an animal, you've got to have Levites there to be ready. you got the feast, you got the ordinances, you have all this stuff going on. And then verse 32, you just got to take care of the temple. Someone's got to clean it. Someone's got to watch out for it. God is organized. So what does this mean for us today? Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians 12, please? 1 Corinthians 12. We don't have a temple that needs to be taken care of like they had in the Old Testament. But you know what we do have? We have the body of Christ that needs to be taken care of. If you're blessed, we have a physical building that needs to be taken care of. We don't have 38,000 Levites, but we have a lot of servants. You know, one of the passages that we were praying over these first 40 days is knowing your calling in the Lord. That's one of the questions I get the most from people. Is, James, I want to serve, but I don't know where. First Peter says to pray to make your calling and election sure. What has the Lord laid on your heart? Where do you feel like you can serve? Because the Lord talks about this. We have spiritual muscles, and these spiritual muscles need to be worked out. You don't just want to show up and be lazy at church. Lord, how can I serve? Who can I serve? Remember, there's three things that we're supposed to be doing as a church. We're supposed to be edifying the body of Christ, encouraging them. We're supposed to be ministering to those that are sick and hurting. And they're also supposed to be witnessing to the lost. Lord, where's the passion that he's given you? Is it for the lost? Then, hey, let's get involved with some of this outreach stuff we want to do. If it's for ministering to people that are hurting, hey, who are the people sick? Who are the people in the hospital? Who can I go show love to? Maybe it's edifying. I want to start up a discipleship class. I want to go to a prayer meeting. I don't know. How do you know? Look here at 1 Corinthians 12. Just like the Levites were organized, you had gatekeepers, security, praise, leaders, temple. Look at verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. We don't all have the same gift. Not all of us are called to teach. Not all of us are called to lead worship. Not all of us have the gift of administration. There's diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. Everybody has a different ministry. Some of you may feel led to go get involved in the children's ministry. Some of you, that would be a punishment. You go where you're called. There are different diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. We mentioned lots of activities going on. we got some service opportunities here we're praying about, we're going to announce soon. You may not feel led to get involved in those service opportunities. You may not feel led to go down to the weekend to remember. 
That's fine. There's different activities. Find the one that you feel led to get involved in. Here's the key, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. If you are born again and saved here tonight, that means the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in for a while. And the Holy Spirit says, I've given you a gift. You have a gift. Now, if you may not know what that gift is, I encourage you. And we put this in the prayer calendar. Read over verses 8, 9, and 10, and 11. Read over the gifts in Romans 12. Read over the gifts in Ephesians 4. Lord, what have you called me to do? Because just like these Levites, somebody's security, somebody's leader, somebody's praise and worship, somebody's taking care of the temple, there was a calling on them to know what they were asked to do. And if you have a heart and you say, James, I want to do that. I want to edify the body of Christ. I want to minister to the hurting. I want to witness to the lost. But I I need to know how God has called me to do that. Let us know. We'd love to meet with you, talk to you about different opportunities, and just have you pray and say, where is God leading you? Because you have a gift. And I tell you this, when you really start to get that, you finally start to find fulfillment. You really start realizing it's not about me. This is about loving people. Love them while you have them. Love them while they show up. And then whoever shows up, you're like, Lord, I just want to love them and point them towards a deeper walk with Christ. And all of a sudden, this world becomes more than your work schedule and more than your calendar. You really start saying it's about eternity. And it's like, Lord, I now get it. That's all about you, pointing people towards Christ. So what you have here in chapter 23 is the division of the Levites, 38,000 people divided up. God is a God of order. He has gifts. He has callings. Okay, jump ahead to chapter 24. Here now you have the priests. The priests are divided up. Remember, Aaron's descendants are the priests. What's their job? 1 Chronicles 24, verse 5. Thus they were divided by lot as groups of another. For they were officials of the sanctuary and officials of the house of God from the sons of Elziar and from the sons of Ithamar. These guys took care of the temple. These guys were the ones that would do the sacrifices. These guys were the ones that would offer up the daily sacrifices. They were the priests. And just like the Levites had shifts and days when you worked and when you didn't, the priests, same thing, had responsibilities. God is a God of order. If you sign up to help in the back, I know you get regular reminders from Tony on what day you're supposed to serve and when you're supposed to work because God is a God of order. And Tony is the fourth member of the Trinity. She's got it figured out. Order keeps things going and keeps things flowing. The Levites had it, the priests have it, and that's what you see here. Chapter 25 now is the importance of worship. The importance of worship. A whole chapter devoted to how this is supposed to be, how you divide up the worship teams now. And they had these worship teams. They had evening worship. You had uh, morning worship. And you had different instruments. Verse 6, all these were under the direction of their father for the music in the house of the Lord was cymbals, stringed instruments, harps for the service of the house of God. So you had all these different types of people that worship there. And they had the purpose of worship. Now, real quick, we've got to remember here, what is the purpose of worship? purpose of worship is to worship God. One of the things I see happening in the church, and I don't mean harvest, I just mean in the church throughout the world, it seems like, is people are starting to worship worship. And, and they start wanting this worship that is, the problem is they start worshiping the worship. And purpose of worship is for you to come in and just stop and say, Lord, it's all about you. 
It's not necessarily about the song selection. It's not about the song style. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's supposed to be about the Lord. And so often we treat worship like music critics. You've heard me say this a lot. Well, I like it when they do this. Well, I like it when they do that. Well, I like it when they do this too, and I like it when they do that too. You've heard me say many times before, try to imagine a car that has 300 people in it, and we're all going to listen to the same radio station at the same time, the same song, the same volume level. You can't get everybody to agree. When we come on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights and we have corporate worship, there is a give and take when it comes to that. There really is. And purpose of worship on a Sunday and a Wednesday is for us to come together as a body of Christ and say, Lord, I just want to glorify you. Because you know what? We have seven days a week, 24 hours a day, to listen to the style of worship that blesses you. Then amen. But when we come together on a Sunday and Wednesday, hey, you know what? Sometimes we've got to put a little bit of our personal preferences aside and just say, Lord, it's all about you. Hebrews 13, 15 says that we bring the sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice for me not to think about myself. It's a sacrifice for me to come in on a Wednesday or a Sunday and say, Lord, I'm only going to focus on you. I'm not going to focus on who's walking through the door right now. I'm not going to focus on the, the, the slides with the words. I'm not going to focus on this or that. I'm just going to focus on you. Because I don't know about you, but when I come and I just want to worship, oh my goodness, I am so easily distracted by everything. And if you ever see me worshiping, which you shouldn't be looking at me, but if you are, I look like i got a horrible headache. I put my head down and I cover my eyes like this. Because I am just so easily distracted. And Lord, I just want to focus on you. I just want to focus on you. Bring the sacrifice of praise. And I don't want to worship the worship. I just want to think about you. And remember, the worship is not based on God has done enough in your life this week that he deserves it. He deserves worship just because he's God. Yes, there are times when the Lord has done something amazing in your life. You just stop and say, Lord, I give you the praise. But even if you had the worst week of the worst weeks, God is still a God of grace and mercy and love. And you still bring that heart of worship to it because he is God. Just real quick, I want to read to you Psalm 100. It's only five verses. Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. This is why we do worship before we teach. Because let's go into the presence of the Lord with singing. Let's enter His gates with thanksgiving. Let's come into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures into all generations. And you know what? There's a lot of work that goes into the worship. And I think sometimes we forget that. These people are showing up 7, 7.30 on a Sunday morning. They're out here for five hours doing stuff. Wednesday night they come out early. And hey, pray for them. Pray for them that they have the heart of worship so that way when they come in to lead us into worship, we have that same heart as well too. And remember, it's all about the Lord. It's not about us. So chapter 25, this is the breakdown on how they're supposed to be organized for worship. Anybody got any quick questions, comments here about anything before we move on? We've got two more chapters here and some final points. Okay, real quick. Chapter 26, the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers, and also, verses 20 on, the treasurers. The people that watched the gates, the first half. The second half, the people that took care of the money and counted it. These are the things we don't think about. These gates were big. You need security. You need people standing at the doors that are saying, Hey, are you allowed to come in? Sure, come on in. Hey, you're not allowed to come in. I'm closing the door. They have to have security. 
People are making donations here, if you will, to the Lord. Take a look at verse 27 of 1 Chronicles 26. Some of the spoils won in battles, they dedicated to maintain the house of the Lord. So they come back from a battle. They bring the spoils from the Philistines. Hey, go take it to the treasurer at the temple. They'll mark it down. They'll take care of it. This is an organization that has run efficiently. It's run effectively. It has the gift of administration, but yet at the same time, the Spirit is leading it. And you see the gatekeepers, the security, you see the treasurers, you see all this coming together. Now, there's two fun points about chapter 26 we need to share. Look at verse, um, oh, where's that at here? Look at verse 8 of chapter 26. All these were the sons of Obed-Edom, they and their sons and their brethren, able men with strength for the work, 62 of Obed-Edom. Now, that verse may not mean anything to you. But if you remember back in 1 Chronicles 13, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant... And it didn't go real well. And a lot of people died. The ark got sent to Obed-Edom's house. And he was blessed for it. And I remember somebody on that Wednesday night asking, why would Obed-Edom take the ark? And we talked about, you know what? Obviously the Lord knew the guy's heart. It was going to work out. It was a good place for it to be. And God would bless him. How is Obed-Edom blessed? 62 of his descendants are now serving the Lord. That's amazing. Think about that. And this is hard for us to do because we live in a society that focuses on the here and now. Okay? I'm going to have potentially a lot of grandkids. A lot of those grandkids are potentially going to have even more grandkids. And there's going to be descendants coming after. Am I setting a godly example for the generations that are following me? Am I setting a godly example for my kids so that when they go have kids, that they hopefully are setting a godly example for their kids? Because this Obed-Edom... 62 of his descendants are serving the Lord in this capacity. What a blessing that is. Would that not be so amazing? And it's hard for me to put myself in this perspective. But when I look and I talk to the older generations above me and they talk about the joy of seeing not their kids, but now their grandkids or great-grandkids having a close relationship with Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Obed-Edom, 62 of his descendants are following the Lord there, serving Him. Now, the flip side of this, this is why I love these chapters, because we would skip over these verses, but these are so important. Go to chapter, excuse me, verse 29 of the same chapter. Of the Israelites, Chenai and his sons performed duties as officers and judges over Israel outside Jerusalem. See, now we would read those words and just say, I don't even know what he's talking about in verse 29. Catch verse 29, outside of Jerusalem. Not everybody lived in Jerusalem. So now you need to have Levites that have to go out. Verse 30, of the Hebronites, Hashbiah and his brethren, 1,700 able men had the oversight of Israel on the west side of the Jordan. i got a slide I want to put up here. Dustin, can you put that up? For all the business of the Lord and the service of the king. Among the Hebronites, Jerajah was head of the Hebronites according to his genealogy of the fathers. In the 40th year of the reign of David, they were sought and they were found among them capable men at Jezar Gilead. And his brethren were 2,700 able men, heads of his father's house, whom King David made officials over the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, for every matter pertaining to God and the affairs of the king. Now, we have a um, slide here, and this is not the right slide. It's First Chronicles. It's not in there. It was a great slide, people. It was really good. It was a slide that we showed way back when we started Chronicles. If you remember correctly, we talked about how this one group right here, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they decided to settle on the west side, decided on the west side of the Jordan. Everybody else decided to settle on the east side. And if you remember, the teaching point was this. They settled away from everybody else. 
They didn't want to cross the Jordan and fight and do all that. And the warning was, if you settle away from everybody else, you're asking for problems. And this half-tribe of Manasseh and the Reubenites and the Gadites got easily picked off. Where everybody else on the east side of the Jordan was safe and secure. Okay, so you got that. Imagine that if you look on the Bible. These three tribes are on the west side of the Jordan. They were too lazy to cross and set up camp. Note this. All these people on the east side of the Jordan... How many people do they have? They have 1,700 men taking care of them. The people on the other side of the Jordan where they're not supposed to be, they have 2,700 men taking care of them. Just put that into perspective. The group of people that were living where they were not supposed to be living, and God said, if you want to live there, live there, but you're asking for problems. It took 1,000 more people to take care of them. Now, we know there was not more people living there. There was actually far less people living there because their tribes kept getting decimated and smaller, but they needed more people to take care of them. You know why? The farther you are away from Christ, the more spiritual work you are. That's just the way it is. If you're on fire, born again with Christ, and you're just going deeper in Jesus, as your shepherd, who I love you very much, I don't usually have to check in with you too much. You're doing pretty good. It's the ones that aren't doing real well, maybe by, by choices that weren't good or maybe just by circumstances in life. I don't want to make it sound like there's some deep spiritual problem. But what happens is the ones that are more difficult, the ones that are having more problems, the ones that life is tougher for right now, there's more people ministering to them. And so 2,700 people have to take care of the Reubenites, the Gadiites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Why? Because they decided to live where they shouldn't have lived. They decided to get farther away from the temple. They decided to get farther away from where they're supposed to be. But yet at the same time, those that were closer, they didn't need as many people to take care of them. I mean, we know how this works. How often do you see your mechanic when your car breaks down, right? I'm sure if you go talk to Dr. Meyer, he sees people when they're sick. Chris, does anybody ever make an appointment with you just because they're healthy? Rarely. I will, though. But, you know, we just don't, do we? These guys right here, they weren't where they were supposed to be. We talked about that a month or so ago. More people had to take care of them because it's more work. And my point is this, is not trying to make anybody say, well, I don't want to create more work. It's not about that. The point is you want to stay as close to Jesus as you can. Remember the example we gave of Peter. The Bible says that as Peter followed Jesus at a distance, that's when Peter got into trouble. Stay as close as you can to Christ. You know, if we ever go out in public, I usually take Layden and I usually take Kenan, my two youngest, and I have one on each of my hands. Stay right with me, guys. Stay right with me. Hey, let's finish this up real quick. Chapter 27. Chapter 27 is the military. Military is this. They had 24,000 men on active duty at all times. So any time during the year, there are 24,000 soldiers available and ready for whatever is needed, and then the rest could be called up at any time. So 24,000 every month were on active duty. And then if you weren't, you then waited your month to come do this. Once again, you see in chapter 27, you have the different leaders. Everything is extremely organized, and God has it all taken care of. Look at this. Everything's taken care of. You've got the Levites. You've got the priests. You got the gatekeepers, you got security, you got the temple, you got the food for the temple, the Levites helping the priests, you got the treasurers, the gate. I mean, you got all these things. So it's really easy to look at chapters 22 through 27 and just kind of say there's a lot of names, a lot of things I don't get. You know what I see? I see a God of order, I see a God of administration, but I see also a spirit led system that works. What does it mean for us? Back to chapter 22. If you can't do it, 
Help those that can, just like David did. Seek great advice from being in the law, in the word, because that's where wisdom and guidance come from. And then share the vision for the temple, because that's exactly what David did. What else do we see with these people? The Levites were divided up into all these different categories. Why? Just like the body of Christ has all these different gifts. You have a gift, and I encourage you to use it. That's when you will find encouragement. You see the importance of worship, just worshiping the Lord. You see the importance of staying close to where God has called you to be in the temple because the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and Gadiites, the farther away they were, the more problems they were. And then you see in chapter 27 the importance of what? The active military. And this is what I want to finish with. Can you go with me real quick to Ephesians 6? A lot of you know where I'm going with this passage. Just like there was always a standing military to take care of whatever need there was, whatever problem there was, same thing happens for us today. God has us in the armor of God to be ready for whatever battle is coming. Ephesians chapter 6, you guys know the verses, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Put on the armor. Why? Because we are in the battle and we are the standing military that the Lord uses. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. God says you're a soldier. He says there are going to be hardships, and you don't get involved in the warfare of this world. You keep your eyes on the spiritual matters that matter. So it's a good reminder to us that we are in a battle. We need the armor of God. And I tell you, you need the armor on in your marriage, in your witness, at work, whatever you do. You need that armor on. And don't forget, you're part of the standing military of the Lord to be used for His purpose as a soldier for Him as you go out there and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything? Ryan. Yeah, you, you see this order. I mean, and I, and I can't stress that enough. Because jump back to verse 7. So the number of them with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skillful, were 288. And they cast lots for their duty, as small as well as the great, the teacher with the student. Don't you love that? That's the way it's supposed to be. So you got it figured out in the Lord. Nothing to be prideful about. Nothing to be cocky about. Find somebody who doesn't. Take them under your wing. It's that discipleship mentality. You know what? And so the older people of the worship team, hey, start training up the younger people of the worship team because you're not going to be around forever. Hey, the older Sunday school classroom teachers, help the younger Sunday school classroom teachers. Train them. That's part of that discipleship. And you see this lots that broken down. And so you had a lot that had older people and you had a lot that had younger people. And you mix them together to say, let's work together at this. What a blessing that is. And like you said, the repetition of 12, God has that fulfillment there. 12, that number of, of uh, completion there. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. If you're into numerology there, you can start seeing a lot of pictures of that. Anybody else have anything here before it goes up? All right, let's take this. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, a lot of information tonight. And it's really easy just to kind of glance over it and say, 
It doesn't apply. But Lord, we see you moving and working. We see your administration. We see your gifts of the Spirit. We see you using the Spirit to organize them thousands of years ago. And you want to do the same thing for us today. Call us to where you have called us. Then empower us to do it through your Spirit. To edify, to minister, to witness. Help us to see the importance of worship. Help us to see the importance of your organization and where we fit into it, Lord. Show us that that we may serve you and be fully efficient and effective for you. Because, Lord, that's where we know we truly find joy and fulfillment. And, Lord, we want to be a good soldier for you. We want to endure hardship for you as you call us. If there's someone here tonight physically or emotionally or spiritually that are struggling, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would be with them and just help them in all ways. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Hey, it's almost 8 o'clock, went a little bit late here, but if you've got something you want to pray about, come grab me, grab Renee, grab Rich. We'd be more than willing to pray with you here. Um, you guys have a good week. God bless, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next Wednesday then.